fourth and final message in this book of Obadiah. We will go to the book of Genesis next Sunday and begin there our verse-by-verse study of chapters 37 through 50 and the life of Joseph. Tonight we're going to be reading Obadiah verses 15 through the end of the chapter. So beginning in verse 15 through verse 21. And this is the Word of God. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow. They shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Well, lately I have found a uh, great deal of joy and uh, longing stirred up in my heart by a a particular song uh, by Andrew Peterson. It's a a song called The Reckoning. Uh, It's a song about the day of the Lord. Uh, the day that is to come. Uh, the song begins by describing a thunderstorm and how a thunderstorm is for us a shadow of that day of judgment that's coming. Uh, and so ultimately the song is about the day when Jesus comes back and uh, gathers us all before Him and sets all things right. So just listen to, to some of these words. I can see the storm descending on the hill tonight. Tall trees are bending to your will tonight. Oh, let the mighty bow down at the thundering sound of your voice. And I can hear the howling wind and feel the rain tonight. Every drop a prophet in your name tonight. Oh, in the song that they, they sing, it is washing me clean. But how long? How long? How long until this curtain is lifted? How long? This is the song that we sing. How long until the reckoning? And I know you hear the cries of every soul tonight. You see the teardrops as they roll tonight down the faces of the saints who grow weary and faint in your fields. And the wicked roam the cities and the streets tonight. But when the God of love and thunder speaks tonight, oh, I believe you will come and your justice will be done. But how long? How long until this curtain is lifted? How long? This is the song that we sing. 
How long until the reckoning? For you are holiness and grace. You are fury and rest. You are anger and love. You curse and you bless. You are mighty and weak. You are silence and song. You are plain as the day, but you have hidden your face. For how long? How long? I know that I don't know what I'm asking, but I long to look you full in the face. I am ready for the reckoning. I wonder if you could sing a song like that. For you is the day of judgment, a day that you cry out for. It is the day that Christ returns to gather His people to Himself. So do you cry out, How long, O Lord? Like the martyrs that we read about in Revelation 4 this morning. How long until you come to set all things right? Do you turn on Fox News or MSNBC or whatever you watch and turn it off and say, How long, O Lord, till you come and make this world as it ought to be? It is that day of reckoning. It is that day of the Lord that is in view in these final verses of the book of Obadiah. We read in verse 15 of the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, that phrase, the day of the Lord, has a a wide meaning. It can refer to the entire last days of the world, from Christ's first coming all the way through Christ's second coming into the day of judgment. We've already seen that God is going to use other nations to destroy the nation of Edom or to punish them for their evil actions towards Israel. But in these verses, God seems to be speaking of a different judgment, a subsequent judgment, a bigger judgment, a judgment in which all of the nations of the earth are included. And so it seems that when Obadiah speaks of the day of the Lord, he does have in mind particularly that very last day of human history when our Savior comes back to earth to judge the living and the dead. It will be a day of great judgment for the wicked. It will be a day of glorious salvation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This day is in our future, and we ought to think of it often. Our eyes should be on this day in everything that we do. That day should be a prompt to us, an encouragement to us, to live by faith. Our longing should be that on that day we will hear our Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. We don't want to be among those who hear, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And so we ought to be sobered this evening as we look at these final verses of Obadiah and think about this coming day of the Lord, this day of judgment. Uh, There is a lot in these verses that we could look at. So I've settled on seven truths, seven truths in these verses concerning the day of the Lord. There are others, uh, but because I've chosen seven, uh, we're not going to be able to spend a whole lot of time on any one of them. Uh, But at least by looking at these seven, we'll have uh, a biblical understanding to an extent of what is going to occur on that last day and what it will be like uh, as much as we can know that. Uh, on that last day. So, seven truths about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. Here is truth number one. The day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is near. It's very clearly right at the beginning of our passage, verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Our tendency 
is to think of the day of judgment as this great day that's way off in our future, so far off that that we're tempted not to think about it much, we're tempted not to be concerned with it. And many look at a book like this and wonder how in the world God could have told these people that the day of the Lord was near, and that was 2,500 years ago. So if God considered that near, what might He mean when He tells us that the day of the Lord is near? Maybe it is way, way off in the future. Maybe I shouldn't be concerning myself with it at this time. Well, that's not at all the way we should think. Uh, It's absolutely true that Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3 that God is outside of time, that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years to the Lord is as a day. But I really think that what God is saying when He tells you that the day of the Lord is near is that you ought to be thinking about it now. Don't think of it as something that's way in your future. See it as something that is soon approaching. You need to be preparing for yourself for that day now. It will come quicker than you anticipate. The Bible presents us with two kinds of people. Those who are not paying attention, those who are not prepared, those who think little or not at all about the coming day of the Lord, and then those who, like the martyrs in heaven, cry out, how long? And their eyes are fixed on that day. Jesus taught about that first group, that group that's not paying attention, that group that is is not thinking about the last day. And He said, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus said in Luke twelve forty, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There are many in the world who will be caught completely unawares because they are not thinking about the day of the Lord. They are not hearing this truth. It's near, it's near. Think about it now. We've been told this so that we might prepare We don't want to be there on that day saying, I just didn't expect it to come so soon. I thought I would have more time. We want to be among those who say, finally, this is what I've been longing for. This is what I've been praying for, to behold my Savior's face. In fact, this is what we're told to pray, right? We we see in the, the end of the Bible that prayer, Jesus, come quickly. Do you ever pray that? You realize you're calling for the day of the Lord to come when you pray that. Or when you pray, Father, Thy kingdom come. What are you praying for there? You're praying for this work of Christ in the world to be completed so that He will come and and inaugurate the kingdom in all its fullness, the new heavens and the new earth. You're calling for the day of the Lord to come. Now, the main impetus of this truth for non-believers is that unbelievers do not need to put off humbling themselves before God and repenting. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to turn to Christ. Think of the day of the Lord as near. Don't think, well, I have time. You may not. For those of us who are already Christians, the main impetus of this idea that the day of the Lord is near is that we have a limited time to do all we can to help others to be ready. 
that we ought not to lollygag our lives away, that we ought not to waste our lives on things that don't matter, but that we ought to give ourselves to faithful living and gospel speaking for the sake of those around us. Remember, this life is eternity. That's the real thing. That's the big thing. We need to spend our doing everything we can to help others be ready for the big thing, for eternity. Truth number two. Truth number two. The day of the Lord concerns all the nations. The day of the Lord concerns all the nations. Again, verse 15, right there at the beginning. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Remember, this word nations in the Bible does not simply refer to geopolitical countries. There's always a tinge of family and family groups that is a part of this word as it's used both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In other words, if you had a mother and a father, and you all did, you are in this word nations. There is no human being who has ever lived in the history of the world who is not included in this word nations. All of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. The day is near upon every individual. Now, the implication for unbelievers is that we must not entertain any notion of avoiding this day. We must not convince ourselves that this day is not coming for us. It is coming. Unbeliever, this day is in your future. I think it's the hardest thing in the world to have people really believe that and understand it. I've said it many times already, just in these weeks looking at Obadiah. I could say it ten more times, but how do we get an unbeliever to understand this day is truly coming? It takes the Spirit of God to help them see that. The implication, the implication for believers is twofold. First, since this day is coming upon all the nations, that means all the nations need the gospel. So there is no group of people in the world that we exclude and say they do not need the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our commission is to take the gospel to all the nations, for all the nations must stand before God. All the nations need the gospel. Even, by the way, modern Israel needs the gospel. The second implication for Christians is that every injustice that has ever occurred among any people will be punished on the last day. In other words, God has not simply taken note of the wrongs of a few nations or of a subset of people. No, God has seen every wrong committed among every person who has ever lived. God has seen every act of abuse. God has seen the pain of every victim. The very, this very moment, there are children of God who are being abused and hurt in ways that the rest of the world knows nothing about. But God knows. In every nation, God knows. And God will bring justice. Truth number three. God's judgment will be just. It will be just. There will be a principle of justice that undergirds all of the punishment that God issues on that last day. In fact, we see it clearly stated in verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations as you have done. 
it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. This is the principle of lex talionis. That is the principle of retaliation. The punishments given by God on the last day will precisely fit the nature and the extent of the crimes committed. We see this taught over and over again in the Scriptures. Romans 2.6 He will render to each one according to his works. Galatians 6.7 Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. On the day we stand before God, if our sins are not covered and forgiven by the blood of Christ, then they will be openly revealed and met with by a punishment that is exact for each and every one of them. Psalm 133, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Answer, nobody. God does mark iniquities. There is a record being kept. There is a judgment that is being stored up and prepared. Who will be able to fare well on that day of judgment? Nobody, except for those who know Jesus Christ. Psalm 130 verse 4 says, With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. It is the most important thing in the world for us to have our sins forgiven. For otherwise, our sins are so great that that judgment day will be a a terrible day for us, a day which we will experience for the first time, the first day of an eternity in hell. We see this principle repeated in verse 16. Verse 16, or at least I I think we do. Uh, This verse seems to teach that God's judgment will be according to our sins. There's actually quite a bit of debate about verse 16 and exactly how we should understand it, exactly what's being communicated. But look at verse 16 with me. For as you, Edom, have drunk on my holy mountain, that's Israel, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. My understanding of this verse is that God is making a comparison between the kind of sin that Edom had committed and the kind of judgment that is going to come upon them and all the nations. Edom's sin was that she had drunk on God's holy mountain. Right? So God's holy mountain referenced probably more precisely to Jerusalem itself. Um, a drunk person, of course, is someone who has had too much to drink. They've, they've indulged themselves, right? And the idea is that Edom in some way has indulged herself at the expense of Jerusalem. And so God may be speaking here of all the material gains that Edom was, was receiving or grabbing for herself because of the destruction of Jerusalem. God may be referring to Edom being drunk in wicked joy and glee at seeing Israel's downfall. God may actually be referring to Edom's carousing and acting in fleshly revelry and drunkenness in the streets of Jerusalem. Either way, just as Edom took advantage of Israel in her calamity and became drunk at her expense, so God will cause Edom to now become drunk again, this time 
they will become drunk on the wrath of God. So you see, the punishment fits the crime. Uh, And Edom is an example of all the nations, how all the nations abuse God's people, persecute God's people, take advantage of God's people. And now all the nations will drink continually from the wrath of God. We're told they shall drink and swallow, meaning that God's judgment will be complete. God's judgment will be thorough. In fact, not a single nation that has ever existed in all of history will continue to exist after that day of judgment. Have you, have you ever thought about that? There will be a day when there will be no United States of America. There will be a day when there will be no United Kingdom, no China, no Japan, no France. These kingdoms, these nations, they will fall away. So complete will be God's judgment on this world. When Christ returns, every nation of the world will come to an end. And only one nation, His church, the true Israel, will continue to exist. Truth number four. Truth number four. God's people will escape His judgment. God's people will escape His judgment. It isn't that God's people won't be there on that day. We will definitely be there at the day of judgment. But we will come through the experience safe and secure, protected by the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so all of the nations will be condemned, but God's people will escape the condemnation. And we have a a picture of this in verse 17. So if you want to look there, verse 17. Right? He's just said in verse 15 and verse 16, right? Verse 15, day of Lord is near upon all the nations. Verse 16, all the nations are going to drink continually of the wrath of God. Verse 17, but in Mount Zion, right? God's people, Israel, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, set apart, pure, washed in the blood of Christ. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. So Mount Zion, another description of Jerusalem, ultimately of all of God's people. And this is a description of the, of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be the church who escapes safe and secure on the last day. These very same people who are hated by the world. These very same Christians who are persecuted and taken advantage of. They will be the ones who come out okay. The world thinks that Christians are foolish. The world thinks that Christians are are simple-minded for believing and living the way they do. But by their foolish faith in Christ, Christians will overcome. And when the world is judged for their wickedness, Christians will be spared and saved. By God's grace, those who are in Christ will escape. And those who did not submit to Christ will perish. Number five. Number five. This fifth truth is one that kind of surprises a lot of people, but we've seen it before a few times. It's that God's people will actually participate in Christ's judgment on the nations. God's people will actually participate in Christ's judgment on the nations. So, so having been found forgiven in Christ, we ourselves will be granted to join Christ in bringing punishment on the wicked. So look at verse 18. We see it very clearly there in verse 18. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. 
And they, that is Jacob, Joseph, shall burn them, that is Edom, and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So what will be God's means of bringing true and final destruction to Edom? Well, God says He's going to use His people. Israel will be the instrument in God's hands that He uses to judge Edom. Listen to Ezekiel talk about this in Ezekiel 25. This is very clear and very interesting. Listen to what Ezekiel says. Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them, therefore thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut it off from man and beast. And I will make it desolate from Teman even to Dedan. They shall fall by the sword and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom. But how? Listen carefully. By the hand of my people Israel and they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath. And they, Edom, shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God. And so we have both in Ezekiel and in Obadiah this this doctrine that is clearly taught. God's people will be instruments in His hands that He uses to bring judgment on the wicked. This is one of the ways that we know that this passage in Obadiah is truly prophecy pointing to the last day. And not just telling us about ancient Israel and ancient Edom. In fact, it was not ancient Israel that brought about the end of ancient Edom. It was ancient Rome that ultimately destroyed ancient Edom. And so what's in view here can't be the destruction of the physical nation of Edom. What's in view here is is all the wicked of the world, all the nations signified by the Edomites, those who are enemies of God. And God is telling us how it is that He will bring judgment upon them. It will be through His people. Of course, of course, judgment on the last day will come preeminently through that great son of Abraham, the ultimate Israelite, Jesus Christ. He is the one who will bring judgment, but his people will be with him. His people will be with him as he brings this judgment. In the New Testament, where you're told that when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, he's not going to come down from heaven alone. But we're told that a great host of angels are going to enter this world with the Lord Jesus. And we're also told that the spirits of those Christians who have already died are going to come back with the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. 1 Thessalonians 4 goes on to say that, that the souls of those who, have, who are Christians, who have already died, they will come with Christ, with His angels on that last day. They will rise first. That is, their bodies will be the first to rise and their souls and bodies will be reunited together. And then those believers who are still alive on the earth will be caught up with Christ, with those saints, with those angels in the air. And so all of Christ and all of His people and all of His angels will all be together there in the air. Why? What are they going to do next? Are they going to leave? 
I say they, we. What are we going to do next? Well, the Bible seems to say that we are going to participate with Christ in bringing judgment on this world. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul talks this way. He, he says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When? When is God going to do this? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And so Christ who has his angels with him, who has his saints with him, will bring final destruction on this world. And we will be with him in that moment. And in some sense, we will participate. Uh, We're told in Revelation that Satan and the demons will be judged on this day, right? And that we will somehow even participate in their judgment. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that you will judge angels? Revelation 19 gives us that picture of Christ coming back. And He's a rider on a white horse. Right, His eyes are like flames of fire. His robe is dipped in blood. There is a sword to destroy the nations coming out of His mouth. And we're told that He's not alone. That there is an army with Him. An army, angels, saints together. And that together they will bring judgment on the enemies of God. I can't imagine what that's going to be like. I, I don't even know that I want to imagine what that's going to be like. But the teaching of the Scripture does seem to be that on that last day, that day of judgment, Christ's people will participate with Him and His angels in judgment on the world. Truth number six. Truth number six. God's people will possess great lands. Great lands. What will the outcome for God's people be after this day of destruction is past? Well, God's people will come to inhabit all the lands of God's enemies. This is verses 19 and 20. If you want to see this with me, verses 19 and 20. It's a lot of place names, but don't let it confuse you. It's pretty easy what's being said here. Basically, God's people Israel are going to take over the lands that were inhabited by their enemies, and they're going to live in them and rule them. So beginning in verse 19, Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. So God had given Israel the promised land, the land of the Canaanites, but Israel had failed to fully drive out all the nations that were there. But God speaks of a day here when Israel will have full possession of all the promised land, when the land that belonged to their enemies will now be theirs. And this is enlarged in the New Testament. On that true and final day of judgment, the entire earth will be consumed by fire. The entire earth will be regenerated, made new. The heavenly realm will join the earthly realm. And God's people will possess the world, the new heavens, and the new earth. 
Today it is mostly wicked men who have dominion over this earth. But on that day, the wicked will be removed and the new heavens and the new earth will be given to the children of God. And we will dwell on that new earth with Christ forever and ever. Listen to Peter, 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so on that last day, we will pass through judgment, we will participate in judgment, and then we do not deserve this. You understand that, right? We do not deserve this. But as an act of grace purchased by the blood of Christ, we will receive the new earth to dwell on forever. It's an awesome thought. Something that should encourage us. Well, truth number seven, finally, the kingdom will be the Lord's. Look at verse 21, last verse of the book. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So all of the world will be under the dominion of redeemed humanity, right? Just as in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve to have dominion over the whole earth. So Christ will probably give a similar commission to His people to have dominion on the new earth. But while we, by God's grace, will have that awesome privilege, there will be no doubt as to who is truly the king of this kingdom. There will be no doubt as to who is truly Lord over all. Lord Jesus will rule over all. Jesus is the glory of the new earth. There is no sun there, right? He is the sun. He is its light. The kingdom will belong to Christ with all of its glory, with all of its honor, and they will all be due to Him. So, what do we take away from the book of Obadiah. Well, the day of judgment is real. And the day of judgment is coming. It will be a sweet, sweet day for God's people. It will be a terrible, terrible day of justice for God's enemies. We ought to rejoice that every wrong will be set right. We ought to rejoice in God's great and jealous love for His children we ought also to weep for the lost around us and the punishment that is ahead of them. We need to remember every day that but for the grace of God, hell would be our destiny too. And so we ought to be moved with a passion to pray for those that we know who do not know the Lord Jesus and to do anything we can with His help to show them the gospel and to urge them towards trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.